Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Wrestle Addict Radio Network. Radio Network. Hey, what's up, you guys? What is going on, everybody? What up, fam? Hey, it's me. What up, Ooses? What's up, guys? This is the Monday Night Delight. Are you looking for a network that brings you all things pro wrestling? Then look no further. Wrestle Addict Radio brings you a varied source of wrestling content. What's going on, guys? This is Willie T. My name is Mr. Press. This is your resident smart slayer. Search for Wrestle Ads Radio on all major podcast platforms and be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Buzz, buzz, guys. My name is Kate Murphy of the Kings of the Ring podcast and you are listening. And you're listening. And you're listening. And you are listening. And you are listening. Get ready for a war because you're listening. Come join the war each and every week as we fight to keep wrestling real. What's up, everybody? This is King Ricky Rose and you are listening to Wrestle Addict Radio. Radio, 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 radio. This is the 20 Bell Salute, a 20 year look back each month on wrestling, movies, video games, music, TV, and so much more exclusively on the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon, hosted by yours truly. Mr. Fretz of the Game Changer Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the 20 Bell Salute. I am Mr. Fretz. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Legendary JF. You can follow us on Wrestle Addict Radio at Addict underscore Wrestle. And be sure to follow my co host on the Game Changer Podcast, Nate the Effin Great at Real Effin Game. Today we are going back to September 1999 to review wrestling, TV, movies, video games, music, etc., etc. So, excuse me, September 1999, what was I doing? I was starting 10th grade and was continuing my recovery from my spinal fusion surgery the previous June. Uh, First semester, I... I had to drop gym class because uh, with a newly fused back, I couldn't do contact sports for one year. And the only class that was available in my grade and in my uh, time slot was drafting. I, I couldn't cut it. I absolutely hated it. But my teacher, Mr. F shout out uh, wherever you are, if you're even still alive, um, was an absolute gem, and he helped me along as as best as he could. And uh, well, I think I, I made some good friends in that class. And and in 1999, I made I met one of my very closest friends to this day, although he lives on the other side of the country. Wakely, I love you, buddy. If you're hearing this, I'm definitely gonna forward this to you. Um, Yep, it was tenth. It was tenth grade for me. So please let me know what you were doing. September nineteen ninety nine. Hit hit me up, folks. Now I'm gonna jump into my Y two K compliant time machine and talk about what was on TV in September nineteen ninety nine. Well, we had the amazing uh, Fox lineup of hilarious shows. I mean, we had that '70s show. We had the PJs. We had Futurama, The Simpsons, Family Guy. Man, it was just a nonstop great lineup. And we were about a year away from 
Titus, you know, a, a very short-lived sitcom starring comedian Christopher Titus, who, if you haven't checked out, is just hilarious. And that's all I'm going to say. That's going to be my recommend uh, for today is Christopher Titus. Uh, starting off with television, we have Futurama's A Flight to Remember. The uh, spoof of the, at the time, beloved Titanic movie, which in reality is a boring two-hour piece of crap. Hot take right there. Of course, this was um, the Titanic, but in space with uh, Zap Brannigan manning the ship and, you know, falling into a field of comets or you know, the icebergs, if you will, but this is the year 3000, so it's comets and space, because Futurama is amazing. And we have Bender playing the role of Leonardo DiCaprio, falling in love with with a female robot, Kate Winslet, and yes, they do the, um, <clears throat> like a spoof of the having sex in the car scene, where they have little sparks fly in, in the backseat of the car, I see what you did there, Bender. Um, and, you know, the whole thing where they draw Kate Winslet nude, but it's, you know, Bender drawing the robots, the female robots, the Duchess, something like that, the Countess, I think her name was, uh, you know, drawing her blueprints. That, that was just very spot on. And it was, yeah, Futurama was one of my, my all-time favorite shows. It's, the writing is just, very humorous and if you're a giant nerd and you get a lot of the references like there's even nerdier references that i don't even get because they're math-based jokes and i sucked ass at math huh so yeah that was a good one we had the simpsons season i believe it was season 11 opener with beyond blunderdome you know an episode that starred uh, co-starred mel gibson and homer simpson is trying to write a movie with mel it ends up being a a violent version of Mr. Smith goes to Washington and just hilarity ensues because Homer rents an electric car called the Electorus. And, you know, of course he drives it through a lake. Hey, it's okay. It's an electric car. And he's just driving through the lake. He zaps a bunch of fish. He zaps a bunch of mermaids. Hi girls. Oh, and then of course he, somehow ends up in the lap of Mel Gibson. And this is where a lot of uh, people started to really peter off from The Simpsons. But I think the, you know, the Rose was maybe, maybe starting to wilt a little bit. But season 11, no, season 11 had some Damn fine episodes. I mean, we had Guess Who's Coming to Criticize Dinner. We had the Treehouse of Horror with, you know, I Know What You Did Diddly Id, the I Know What You Did Last Summer spoof, the Stretch Dude and Clobber Girl, the uh, the Tamako episode. We had uh, just, we had the whole, well, I think this was the one when, no, this wasn't the one where Maude Flanders died. This was the one where they had, um, Bart believes he has the power to heal people through his faith. We had, you know, the alligator episode. We had the tap dance, you know, tapa, 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 the whole tap dancing one. And the VH1 parody behind the laughter. 
I mean, there you still had some good ones this this year. I mean, it's nowhere near the quality of you know seasons you know three through through seven and eight, but it was still damn fine. And since The Simpsons is now going into its what thirty first, thirty second, oh my gosh, yeah. So yeah, Simpsons had had some good ones during this time, and Family Guy. You know, Family Guy had just premiered the previous January, just after the Super Bowl, and we had two hilarious classic episodes here with Peter Peter Caviar Eater, where you know Lois's aunt drops, you know, comes into their house and just drops dead in front of them, and they inherit a bunch of money, and Peter becomes a snooty New England preppy, and you know, of course, we have the everything that in there. We had one of the first um. Uh, Family Guy musical numbers with, um, you know, uh, how does that how does that one? You know, my God, this house is freaking sweet. And we had Holy Crap, which was an episode where Peter accidentally kidnaps the the Pope to try and talk sense into his raging Catholic father, and it all. You know, talks. It's it's all about the relationship between Peter and Francis, and how you know rocky it is because you know Peter married a Protestant whore, and it's like, you know Peter kidnapped the Pope. This is the most reckless thing you've ever done. Ah, oh, no, Lois. What what about that time I was on that airplane? And of course, you know this was early cutaway gags. Peter is sitting on the airplane, like, do not pull the lever. And, of course, he pulls it, and he plummets to his death while <laughs> laughing the whole time. Classic Family Guy, which, oh, this show is still on, too. I mean, both these shows are gone in future... I mean, both these shows are still... Excuse me, still on in future. Rama is not... I don't know, man. Uh but this was classic TV watching for me. Like every every Sunday night, I would plop down and watch watch all these shows. And when Sunday Night Heat came to MTV or you know in Canada, Much Music, it would be all these shows: Sunday Night Heat, King of the Hill. Like man, this was prime time. And that '70s show throughout the week as well, which was good right up until the last, I'd say, two or three seasons, especially when. You know, Eric Foreman left the show to become uh, Eddie Brocco. Oh, no, that one hurt. So in movies, we was pretty light. I mean, we had Blue Streak starring Martin Lawrence. Of course, it was like your modern day cop spoof, lethal weapon, whatever. And for the love of the game, a uh, baseball movie starring Kevin Costner with uh, fictional pitcher billy chapel trying to pitch the perfect game uh, yeah it was okay I, I never saw this one i watched blue streak in the 90s and i thought at the time it was funny but it's just one of those ones that get lost in time and that are not really worth revisiting it, it, it was a friday night rental at the blockbuster so that was it uh video games though 20 years ago this i believe it was 20 years ago this month saw the release of the sega dreamcast you know it was uh Sega's dying breath in the in the console market because you know the after the Genesis just all their peripherals like the 32x the Sega CD and then the Sega Saturn and I was there one after the Saturn no there there was one that combined all the all the old systems into one but Sega was just bombing because you know 
the the genesis I think is was it was just so nineties. I mean, that's that's all I can say about that. You know, I grew up. I was a Genesis kid. I didn't have the Super Nintendo until, jeez, uh, until I was like an adult. And me playing the SNES Classic now, uh, finally getting a chance to catch up on all these games I missed uh, in the nineties. Uh, and it's solved also with the Dreamcast launch. You know. Their dying breath, their their last console before, you know, I think they were bought out by Nintendo and now they're making games with them. And this is a controversial take here because it was the also Sonic Adventure. You know, Sonic the Hedgehog's first foray into 3D. And me being a giant Sonic fan in the 90s, like I played Sonic 1, 2, 3, Sonic and Knuckles, Sonic Spinball. Uh, I had... You know, one of the Sonic games on Game Gear. I had a Sonic the Hedgehog themed birthday party when I was 11. I was obsessed. You know, I watched the the cartoon, the good cartoon, the one with the Freedom Fighters, not the stupid, silly cartoon. And I bet you folks knew this. I mean, I hope you do if you're a Sega fan and maybe someone in my age range. But Jalel White, a.k.a. Steve Urkel, voiced Sonic the Hedgehog, I think right up until the end of Sonic X in the, in the mid two thousands. Yeah. So this game sucked. I hated each of the Sonic the Hedgehog 3d games. It, it's a game. I don't think that really translated well into 3d. It's like it was trying to be Mario 64, Mario 64, a monumental release, you know, if I could be honest with Mario 64, I didn't really care for it because of the camera and uh, the, con- the controls can get a little bit wonky and sticky. But it was a gorgeous looking game at the time. Playing it now is like, oh, I'm just going to put this down and play Mario Odyssey instead. Yikes. Those pointy polygons. It's like it's like trying to play Ocarina of Time while just finishing Breath of the Wild. That's why I'll stick to the Ocarina of Time, of time 3D 3, 3ds remake so yeah this was a game i really didn't care for it it wasn't as glitchy as some of their future releases like sonic 06 oh boy that ugh. but when it came to sonic that this caused a mass this this caused a massive divide on the fan base like everyone's like 3d games are good only the two the 2d games suck but i fell along the people that would cry out that only the 2D games are good. Like Sonic Generations, I think, was their only good 3D game just because it had implements of the old Sonic games in it. Like, hey, what would 3D look like in Green Hill Zone? Well, now I know. But I want to stick to the classic stages anyways. So, yeah, I didn't care for this game or Sonic Adventure 2 or Sonic Heroes or... Uh, Secret of the Rings. I didn't play Sonic Colors, but a lot of people uh, like it. Sonic Boom, I just completely avoided and watched all the memes and blooper videos from it. So, nah. You know, we also saw Soul Calibur, which was, at the time, a fantastic fighting game franchise. You know, you can just, you know, hit people with weapons or knock, you know, knock people off the stages to win or knock them out. You know, I especially hated and loved you know the the raft stage where like okay i'm just gonna back up a few inches and get an attack ready on this guy oh i'm off the screen and you know the 
Nintendo had a Soul Calibur release on GameCube a few years after this and had Link from Legend of Zelda as a bonus character. And, of course, I jumped all over that. And, you know, hey, Link's going to have the Great Fairies. You can unlock, like, the Great Fairy Sword and the Biggeron Sword, the Megaton Hammer. Like, okay. But when you're using a big guy with a big heavy weapon, it's clumsy, it's slow. And by the time I get one hit on my opponent, uh, a faster opponent would have a uh, half my life bar taken out. So yeah, Soul Calibur I thought was a great franchise. It was the sequel to Soul Blade from a few years previous and this was a game that this was a game that I would play on the PlayStation demo discs that you used to get with the magazines each month. Hey, folks, remember demo discs? Yeah, that was fun. That was a good time. And finally, a release, a a sequel to Grand Theft Auto. Yes, this was the release of Grand Theft Auto 2 on the PC and then eventually made the jump to uh, to PlayStation and I think N64 as well, but this was back when GTA was like was a was a big top-down, you know, shooter, jump in the jump in a car and steal it and go on a crime spree and I think this was the first game where you could get such a massive crime spree going on and kill as many cops and FBI agents as you can until you get like the friggin' army after you, and then you can steal a tank and just wipe out the whole town. This was at Grand Theft Auto, a couple of years previous to this, this was a game that was kind of like a a hush-hush, play this at your friend's house who has cool parents or who has parents who aren't home and don't tell anyone about this game because, you know, my mom's going to confiscate this from me and blah, blah, blah. And it was... It was a hit. I mean, this was like eighth grade. And to us, this was just, we can do this in a game. And of course, you know, uh, freeware, um, DOS, Windows, whatever, really even released uh, an unrelated game, but called Dope Wars, where you can go and uh, pick up and sell drugs in different parts of the world without trying to get caught by the police or the mafia. Like, I'll come get your money soon. And I'll break your legs. And you'd have the cops chasing you. And then, hey, look, uh, you can look on the stock ticker and say, hey, peyote is more expensive in New York. I'm going to fly from Philly to New York and sell my peyote there and make $62 million. And then you finally have enough money to pay off the mob and I think pay off the cops. But anyways, Grand Theft Auto 2, like a massive crime spree kind of game. It's kind of funny to see how far this franchise has come after you know seeing like what grand theft auto 5 looks like i haven't played the, fr- the franchise since uh san andreas but by the time i got to san andreas i'm like okay yeah this is the same game again and again maybe one of these days if i see gta 5 on the on the playstation shop for like dirt dirt cheap i'll go for it but i'm waiting for red dead redemption 2 to go down in uh price so i can play that as well and we are going to take a look as well here. I just realized I wrote on my notes that I want to know what WCW is up to this month. So WCW 1999, uh, it was just starting to lose its steam. You know, it had lost to uh, WWE consecutively, I think, for about a year now. Uh, January 99, of course, we saw the finger poke of doom oh boy you know the famous kevin nash hulk hogan spot and that's when well 
that's when a lot of people turned the cha- turned turned the channel turned it, turned it right off. But there was still a decent roster at this point in time because a good chunk of them hadn't gone to the WWE yet. Um, just a month previous to this, Chris Jericho debuted for the company, so he had jumped ship, and we were about a month away from an ECW star. No, a year and a month. I'm sorry, I'm skipping. I'm skipping way ahead here. We were a few months away from a different ECW star. I'm going to talk about here in a moment, uh, debuting for the company. So Fall Brawl 1999 was the first Fall Brawl to not have uh, the War Games. In fact, the last War Games match was in 1998, where Team WCW of DDP, Roddy Piper, and The Warrior defeating NWO Hollywood of Hogan, Bret Hart, and Stevie Ray, and NWO Wolfpack with Kevin Nash, Sting, and Lex Luger. Oh, yikes. I can see why uh, War Games was no more. But looking at the results here, we had the Filthy Animals, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Billy Kidman defeating Vampiro and the Insane Clown Posse. Okay, I might start to take back what I was going to say about the roster. WCW Cruiserweight Championship. We had the champion Lenny Lane with Lodi defeating Kaz Hayashi. Now, Kaz Hayashi is a former uh, Japanese professional wrestler, and I thought he had... He was underrated. He, He was really good on the ring, and I thought he was a great addition to the WCW roster. Lenny Lane and Lodi both look like uh, Chris Jericho clones, and they had this uh, pseudo-bromance, homosexual, Billy and Chuck kind of vibe. And with, at the time, all the slurs would be thrown at them, um, not making excuses or defending it. It was wrong. You know, I said them. I'm sorry. I was wrong. But this was just... In 2019 eyes, this is not a good gimmick. It's highly offensive. So Lenny Lane would retain here. And next we had the first family. Hugh Morris and Brian Nobbs with Jimmy Hart defeating the Revolutions, Dean Malenko and Shane Douglas. Of course, the Revolution would also include Perry Saturn and Chris Benoit. And this Revolution stable, minus Shane Douglas, would of course jump ship a few months from then, and I can't wait until next year where I get to talk about the Radicals. Coming up next for the WCW TV title. Remember that? Remember that belt? You know, Rick Steiner, def- champion Rick Steiner defeating Perry Saturn. We had a wrestler named Berlin, which was a repackaged Alexander Wright, you know, Das Wunderkid dancing German guy with uh, the leather jacket who was accompanied by The Wall, defeated Jim Duggan, because, of course, Jim Duggan is going to job to the uh, evil German. We had a WCW World Tag Team Championship match with Harlem Heat defeating the West Texas Rednecks to win the tag team titles. I think this was a record ninth time for them. The WCW US title, Sid Vicious defeated Chris Benoit to win the title, Goldberg defeated Diamond Dallas Page, and Sting defeated Hogan for the WCW championship. 
yeah, I could see how this card would be kind of marred and not really loved. So, moving on to ECW Anarchy Rules. This was their first pay-per-view following their debut on TNN on Friday nights. I remember this well. I used to get home from youth group on Friday nights at the church, at my local church, and sit and plump down here and watch ECW. It was on at like, I don't know, 10, 11 at night, and I got to watch a lot of it when it wasn't preempted and rescheduled and eventually canceled. So, Anarchy Rules. In the dark match, we had Danny Doring and Roadkill with Angelica defeating... Oh, and I'm looking at here, Angelica is Lita. You know, she would be known as Miss Congeniality and then lead, and then would leave for the WWE. They defeated Billy Wiles and C.W. Anderson, no relation, to Arn. Lance Storm defeated Jerry Lynn. Jazz defeated Tom Marquez by disqualification, whoever that is. Tom Marquez was accompanied by Simon Diamond. Chris Jetty and Nova fought Simon Diamond and Tony DeVito to a no contest. I believe this was as a result of this match afterward. We'd have a whole bunch of run-ins and then, oh, all of a sudden there's a match because that was how ECW did their stuff. Coming up next was a three-way dance. Just every time these three wrestlers got in the ring, it was a barn burner. We had Tajiri defeating Super Crazy and Little Guido, you know, a.k.a. Nunzio in the WWE. This was technical, cruiserweight, stiff wrestling at its best at the time. We had Just Incredible defeating Sabu, Mike Awesome defeating Masato Tanaka and ECW champion Taz to win the ECW title because, of course, Taz was heading to the WWE. We had Tommy Dreamer and Raven, the tag team champions, defeating Rhino and Steve Carino with Jack Victory. And in the main event, TV champion Rob Van Dam defeats Balls Mahoney. And that is it for this half of the 20 Bell Salute. Stay tuned as next I am reviewing Unforgiven 1999. And oh my gosh... This show sucks. And welcome back to the 20 Bell Salute. I forgot to mention the the music of this particular portion of the show, and it's not that notable. It's memorable. I mean, we all know these songs. It was um, Smooth by Rob Thomas and Santana, Larger Than Life by the Backstreet Boys, Scar Tissue by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Lens One Shit Wonder, Steal My Sunshine. Oh man, all, all of that is just one big pot of 1999 soup. Oh, nostalgia, right? So this pay-per-view, Unforgiven 1999, took place in Charlotte, North Carolina. And one of the prominent storylines leading into this was... Scab referees, because, you know, the WWE officials are protesting and on strike due to, you know, like unsafe working conditions, you know, a constant abuse by wrestlers, mostly from like Triple H and maybe even a bit of Steve Austin. Um, no, I think it was mostly by Triple H, right? So we had scab referees 
AKA, you know, backstage producers and uh, officials and managers and whatnot. So we had, you know, people like the Brooklyn Brawler, Tom Pritchard, Harvey Whippleman, etc. So starting off this uh, pay-per-view was Val Venus versus Steve Blackman with Brooklyn Brawler as the Sky Referee. And a storyline leading into this was, you know, Val Venus stealing Steve Blackman's uh, karate bag and filling it with, you know, dildos and vibrators and sex toys and whatnot. And, you know, Jerry Lawler is just on form going on. They're like, oh, they, they vibrate, JR. I saw one of them vibrate. And, oh, okay, King. Okay, it's just a vibrator. Calm down. And, you know, Val Venus cuts his, you know, sexy promo. Hello, ladies. You know, he's comparing uh, his, the power of his ejaculation to Hurricane Floyd, you know, blowing from one end of the state to the other. Yeah, that hurricane killed a lot of people. Nice, Val. So, Steve Blackman is just in the midst or, you know, near the end of his uh, his heel turn. I thought it was okay, maybe a little bit underrated. You know, Steve Blackman could be a good, vicious, no-nonsense heel. He got heat in this match, so there's that. And it was pretty short. It wasn't that good. I don't do move for move for too many of these matches. I got one coming up later in the year that I might actually just do that with. So we had your basic action, you know, your rest holds that get the baby face back over and get his heat. Val Venus hits a DDT and a money shot and wins. And then immediately after the match, Steve Blackman gets his heat back, knocks out uh, Val Venus with a kendo stick shot right to the head. And Val Venus needs to be uh, resuscitated by some nurses and doctors. And, oh, here comes a big breasted tall blonde lady this of course is one of the first appearances of bb and you know somewhere in here there's like a reference or a uh, joke about mark mcguire hitting his 60th home run hey remember that mark mcguire versus sammy sosa home run steroid race actually i thought that was pretty cool at the time who cares it was ster- everyone was on steroids back in this time even in the fed so Blackman, you know, he, you know, shoves away all the doctors and all that and starts stomping on Val some more. And out comes the late um, Jim Dotson. You know, he's this uh, muscly looking uh, bearded fellow that was always at the security guards at WWE events in the Attitude Era. You know, he looked a lot like Julian from Trailer Park Boys, except instead of uh, Coke and Rye, he was wearing one of those... um, Oh, I don't know what we call those leather caps, but yeah, Jim Dodson took him down, and a lot of people, including myself, thought, oh, are they going to have a match at No Mercy? Is Jim Dodson going to work a match? And then, you know, it didn't happen. I think this was just something to kind of pop the crowd and go like, oh, okay, so this guy is badass. Uh, I always loved uh, Jim D- He was just this basic, basically background character, and I, I love Jim Dodson. Rest in peace. And Big Show has an interview backstage with Michael Cole talking about how he has this killer instinct and calls Michael Cole a monkey. Then outside outside the arena, we see you know the refs protesting, holding up their picket sides and their placards and and whatnot. Next up here is the European Championship. 
Mark Henry defending his title against his former friend D'Lo Brown. And we see this, you know, bromance friendship video package and all about, you know, Mark Henry having extremely high blood pressure and, hey, you got to lose your weight. You're going to have a stroke and blah, blah, blah. Mark Henry has a uh, interview backstage with a couple of couple of local um, working ladies, if you will, uh, with Lillian Garcia. And, you know, Lil it's like, hey, Lillian, I'll tell you what I want to do. Whispers in her ear, slap in the face, and then out comes a sexual chocolate. Yeah, a little bear watt little sexual chocolate baby. So Mark Henry comes out to the ring. He's like, oh, I've got to cancel my match. Uh, that slap gave me a brain neurism. Aneurysm, Mark. Aneurysm. Like, oh, man, sexual chocolate. <laughs> Other than a couple of extremely offensive bits, I thought this was kind of a fun, funny gimmick. Uh, D'Lo is mega over at this point in time. I mean, and D'Lo just, he makes short work of, Mar of Mark Henry. You know, Mark Henry gets a couple outpowering spots, but D'Lo hits the sky high. That's... That's some strength. You know, Dilo is a big, thick boy. He's a strong and a great wrestler, great charisma. I thought this guy should have had more of a run. But, you know, unfortunately, if you're one of Vince Russo's boys, uh, you're only going to get so much. And, you know, this was, I think, the second to last or last uh, Russo WWE pay-per-view. Because, of course, everyone, him and Jeff Jarrett and... Um, Another guy, they all jumped ship to WCW, where, you know, of course, Jeff Jarrett would become the chosen one. That stupid Kid Rock cowboy entrance theme of his. So, Mark Henry tries to do a 10-punch spot, but D'Lo Brown catches him into a running powerbomb and a lowdown, and D'Lo Brown is once again the European champion. What a big pop, and this was a great match. Put D'Lo in the ring against almost anybody, and he'll put on a a great match. I mean, his matches in 98 with X-Pac stand out among the best work matches of the year. And, of course, you know, going on, he'd see we would see him get into a feud with Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett, and, you know, both of those wrestlers can put on uh, matches in their sleep. So then backstage, we see Chaz... You know, the former headbanger Mosh and Beaver Cleavage. <sighs> Get beat up backstage by uh, most of the locker room as there were a bunch of allegations of him abusing his girlfriend and actually mother in Beaver Cleave. I got to stop talking about that gimmick. Yeah, there's allegations of um, spousal abuse and they're just beating the crap out of him. He's like, oh, fuck off. And, of course, we see eventually one of those GTV skits and Thrasher's like, hey, like Thrasher's back from injury. Yay! And you see him like, hey, I want you to look at this. GTV, like, you know, those voyeuristic uh, backstage promos, you know, like, like there's one where, you know, Val Venus is standing up uh, to the urinal next to the big show. It's like, huh, they call you the big show? Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure, whatever. And Mariana's like painting the black eye on her. 
And then like, oh yeah, she faked it. You you never see her again. And I think she's passed away. So rest in peace. Backstage, we see Jeff Jarrett with Miss Kitty uh, talking about, you know, China wearing the pants. There's like something about, you know, the women being barefoot in the kitchen. Oh boy. Misogynistic Jeff Jarrett. Man, I want to forget about this. And I have to review this match next. Luckily, I didn't go spot for spot because it wasn't a good match. We have Jeff Jarrett versus China for the Intercontinental title. Harvey Whippleman is the referee here. Miss Kitty. You know, of course, Jerry Lawler is audibly orgasming because this is his then-wife, Stacey Carter, the cat, who recently made her debut in the company being the new manager of Jeff Jarrett after there was a whole bunch of dissension with uh, Deborah and eventually Deborah left and you know Deborah you know that the pants suit and the, the power like the was it like the really short skirt and like the power suit kind of shirt and uh you know the cleavage and all that and it's like her her gimmick was tits just like oh just like Phoebe earlier in the oh man the women's division was rough back then oh boy so, this match was just nothing but a bunch of chaos. We see Mula and Mae Young were ringside watching this. Um, of course, in weeks leading up to this, Mula and Mae Young were abused, guitar-shotted, and figure-forward by Jeff Jarrett. But knowing Mula and Mae Young, they were basically like, you better put all of your oomph into this. You better don't don't ease up on me because I'm an old lady. I can take it. You know, like of course, Mae Young was just a few months away from being super powerbombed off of the raw stage. Holy crap. And also like being like power slammed by viscera. She took abuse right up until the last couple of years of her life. She can go in the ring, right? Uh, rest in peace. Not rest in peace to fabulous Mula. You were a piece of shit. Um, so of course we see China overpowering Jeff Jarrett. We see the infamous, if you're an Attitude Era podcast listener like myself, I've been listening to them for ye almost since the beginning, years and years and years. There is this sleeper hold. When Jeff Jarrett catches you on the sleeper hold, you think he makes a sound that sound a sound that sounds like Clarky, but it's really along the lines of oh, "I got you" or something like that. So, unfortunately, due to near the end of his career in WWE, here the Clarky sleeper hold was more like a Glar. And, you know, Attitude Era fans, you know what I mean here. If you don't know what the Attitude Era podcast is, turn me off right now and go listen to their entire backlog. I mean, they're great, great folks and a hilarious podcast to boot. So, Mula and Mae Young interfere here after a ref bump and, you know, Jerry Lawler's like, you know, ah, they they started wrestling when the dead sea, when the dead sea was only sick. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So Deborah comes into the ring um, as Jeff Jarrett was about to lock in the figure four. Guitar shot in the face. China covers for the win and wins the Intercontinental. Oh, wait a minute. Here comes Tom Pritchard to talk to Harvey Wolfman, give him the instant replay on the screen, reverses the decision, disqualification, and Tom Pritchard gets nutsacked and pedigreed. Uh, well, why wasn't this in every other match ever? Instant replay. I'm glad that's not in all wrestling because, like, the coach's challenge in hockey is an 
absolute load of crap. What isn't an absolute load of crap is we have the Dudley Boys making their pay-per-view debut. Excuse me, against the Acolytes. <laughs> oh, man, this is going to be good because I knew these four boys worked stiff and they made you earn your keep. You know, a few months previous to this, we had the Acolytes going up against Public Enemy, another former ECW tag team, and they were being total balance backstage. They were, I don't know what, they, they, were, they were just being assholes, and then basically management's like telling APA, okay, go beat the shit out of these two losers and send them packing. And of course, that happens, and that is just nothing but a bunch of stiff, disgusting headshots and chair shots and man they didn't they didn't mess around Bradshaw and Farouk like if you piss them off like you're toast so of course we have stuttering Bubba Ray Dudley that aged well and Devon Dudley with the three commandments like thou shalt not steal ha thou shalt not kill ha and thou Shalt not mess with the Dudleys. Oh, man, the tag team division is about to be set on fire. Here we go. This is just nothing but a potato fest. Like, just shots after shots, just taking lumps out of each other. Acolytes are just about near the end of their Ministry of Darkness run with that uh, weird lettering uh, painted on their chest. This is going to... Uh, coming. This is going to pay off in a second here, folks. So, Jimmy Carderas crossed the picket line and officiated this match. We see things like, you know, the double flapjack. We see uh, Bubba Ray, who is a lot heavier at this point in time, hit a really stiff, sick senton bomb, which in um, uh, WWE 2K20 is my alternate finisher. I call the spinal fusion surgery. Um we see Devon hitting his classic shoulder block. We see nothing but stiff action and a 3D. Oh, this match is over. Oh, wait a minute. Who's who's that? Stevie Richards, who has been having a cosplaying gimmick as of late. And this time he is dressed up in acolyte gear with, you know, the, the pentagram on the pants and the armbands and the painting on the chest. But the paint said UPN. You know, the old UPN logo that was a triangle square and a circle at the time. Oh, because SmackDown's on UPN. Ha, 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 ha. I get it. Funny. Yeah, Stevie Richards hits a Steven kick and costs the a the Dudley Boys the match. And then he gets in the ring and celebrates with the APA. And then the APA just beat the shit out of him. They hit a disc. Farouk hits a disgusting dominator on Stevie. Just dropped him right on his head. And we see, you know, their fin tag team finisher, the Spike Powerbomb. And Farouk just wrecked people with that Dominator, especially when he wanted to make it look vicious. I thought Stevie was dead, or at least had a concussion at this point in time. No wonder he became Dr. Stevie Richards later in life. Coming up next is, oh, a hardcore title. Wait, no. Oh, that's Ivory. And Luna Vachon, rest in peace. Oh, the women's title match was a hardcore match. Um, 
Okay, so there is nothing but a whole bunch of, you know, no mercy for the N64 backstage plunder, baby. And we see, you know, every and every weapon get involved, you know, all the backstage crap. And, oh, there's a, coincidentally, there is a photocopier back there. And then, of course, we get the making copies reference. And then you see, you know, a phone, someone get hit with a phone, like reach out and touch somebody. That was an American um, phone company, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, hit me up. Uh, tell me what that one is. And as soon as I saw the um, photocopier, I just immediately thought of the movie Office Space, where you know all the the like Michael um, Hadid and oh, that's not his name. About uh, all those guys, they went and um, took the photocopier from the office and then stomped the living crap out of it with. Uh, you know, that rap song playing in the rap. I'm like, die, mother, you know, that one. Uh, yeah, so Tori tries to interfere with a pull, giggity, but Ivory takes said pull, giggity, and wins. And then May and Moolah are getting uh, interviewed backstage, and then Ivory is just berating them, calling them old bags and whatnot, and then May and Moolah beat the shit out of her. Oh, this is leading to a match between Moolah and Ivory at No Mercy, and oh, 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 yeah, that's a rough one. Or is it Moolah and Mae Young that have that match? I can't remember, but either way, ugh, yikes. And then we see Edge and Christian versus the New Age Outlaws. Oh, gosh, no, no, no. Oh, Attitude Era podcast completely ruined the New Age Outlaws for me. They're one of my favorite tag teams at the time, but... Looking back on every Outlaws match, it is boring. It is formulaic. It is, you know, kick that shiznit doggy style. So what does that mean? You're going to do Edge and Christian from behind? Uh, I, uh, I I don't get it, man. I, I don't get it. They're still over, you know, just about a month, a month ago at SummerSlam. They were separate. Uh, Billy Gunn was... Failing hard as a heel, a king, a king of the ring. Oh, man, that too. And Edge and Christian were just, they were still, you know, boring white meat baby faces, even though they were just very good. In the, they were showing all their stuff in the ring, but they just didn't have any charisma yet. It would take them about another six to eight months before the whole uh, dorky heels came, came into play, and I'm looking forward to that. And, oh, here comes Gangrel and the new brood, the Hardy Boys, to cost them the match. And there's a Famouser, and that's it. This match stunk. Uh, they're all capable of better, but eh. but sneak preview. We get the Terry, Inved Terry Invitational Tournament. Tournament the tit. You <laughs> said tit. <laughs> yeah, next month at No Mercy with that wicked ladder match. Yes, please. And coming up next is Al Snow versus Big Bossman in a kennel from hell for fuck's sake. Oh, nope, I quit. <laughs> oh, I have to talk about this, don't I? The kennel 
from Hell Match. A blue bar steel cage match with a hell in the cell over it. Now, this feud had been going on for most of 1999 for the hardcore title. They traded it back and forth a bunch of times. And Al Snow had started coming to the ring or having a little mascot named Pepper, a little Chihuahua, because, well, at the time, Chihuahuas were in, you know, Yo Quiero Taco Bell and all that stuff. So Pepper was, quote-unquote, killed and ground up and fed to Al Snow. You know, Boss Man was like, oh, I want to – you know, make amends to you for everything, and I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. Sits him down to dinner. And then, you know, Al Snow's taking a bite, starting to eat, and informs him that, yeah, that's that, that's that's your dog. And that, of course, that is a um, rib that I think actually happened way back in the day, thanks to Mr. Fuji. And uh, rest in peace, Pepper. But, oh, this was stupid. Al Snow's interview, and I'm going to go through your donut-eating ass like a one-man crime spree. And, oh, and this match, because this is a quote-unquote kennel, and it is the cage around the cell, and then there's a bunch of rabid, quote-unquote rabid dogs, but they were just nothing but a bunch of Rottweilers that pissed, shit, and humped. <sighs> Oh, if I could take a shot right now, I could, but I'm going into work soon. So, basic, boring, plotting match. The crowd is not having any of it. The dogs are barking. The dogs are pooping. The dogs are peeing. The dogs are humping each other. And then, this match you have to win by escape. Okay, so you climb the blue bar cage, and then you climb out of a, a makeshift hole out of the hell in the cell... Or you climb out the door and without being bit by the dogs. But these dogs weren't vicious because they were just going to jump all over you and hump you. Uh. Oh, Al Snow brings head back. He, you know, a bunch of weapons and blah, 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 basic hardcore crap. He pulls head out of his sack. <clears throat> okay, that's, that's, that's good. Good one, Fretz. Thank you. So... All the dog crap that was around the ring was saved for the Rock Smack with the British Bulldog. And Al Snow wins by escape. Oh, man, that was like tearing off a Band-Aid on a really hairy part of your body. <clears throat> Next. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Y2J. You've come to save the WWE from itself. The pay-per-view debut of Chris Jericho. Y2J going up against X-Pac. Now, of course, this was supposed to be um, Ken Shamrock, but Ken Shamrock was kayfabe injured just before this, and he left the WWE, never saw him again. And here, 20 years later, he's actually having a match, a, a match against Moose at Impact's Bound for Glory. And that's, okay, I'm watching that. Thank you very much. So, oh, Mr. Hughes. Nobody remembers Mr. Hughes because he had a short-lived bodyguard-type run in the WWE in 93. I think he was one of the 
many people that stole the Undertaker's urn because he doesn't hire security guards. He should have had the APA back then. <laughs> Idiot. Uh, Mr. Hughes, of course, was also in like, you know, USWA, WCW. He was just this big, burly, imposing African-American man who wore shades. And at this point in time, he had slimmed down big time. And, you know, Chris Jericho was getting a lot of genuine crowd heat here. It was great. He's great at playing a prick of a heel. It's like, and now I call this, you know, summer scam. And he was kind of talking like he did in WCW. And I think it took him a little while to kind of get over that hump a little bit because he was still like, you know, WCW Jericho and not quite Y2J Chris Jericho. And, of course, this was kind of a litmus test for him because he was coming in from WCW. He wasn't well liked at first. I think he had a couple of botchy things here and then McMahon wasn't really a fan of him and it's like, okay, if you can't have a good match with X-Pac, then screw you. And yep, they had a good match. You had, you know, fast-paced action. You had, you know, a, a chop off, you know, like chopping each other. We had some high-flying stuff. Uh, Bronco Buster was denied. Bunch of rest holds, and then X-Pac goes for a Bronco Buster again, but Jericho gets his foot up and hits X-Pac right in the X-Sack. Dude, why don't you learn? I mean, it's no wonder you tore your, tore your asshole open doing that move. Dude. So we have a botchy suplex, and then Jericho gets locked in the Tree of Woe, and X-Pac does a Tree of Woe kind of reverse cowgirl bronco buster okay that was weird um i think there is a dq in here the ref gets beat down by mr hughes road dog comes out to make the save yeah this wasn't that memorable i mean jericho was new in the wwe still great in the ring but i think it took him a little while for him to really find his footing and find his niche here and the main event everything that's been building up to this the six-pack challenge for the vacant WWE title. Steve Austin is kind of on the outside, maybe being a special guest referee, special guest enforcer, what have you. And the title here was vacant because Vince McMahon defeated Triple H, thanks to Stone Cold, for the WWE title on SmackDown. But why? What, what was the point here? I mean, McMahon's a former ECW champion, too. Oh, thank goodness he didn't get the WCW title and go for the Triple Crown. Oh, wait, he kind of did because he bought WCW. Vince McMahon's a Triple Crown winner. Oh, yay. So, McMahon wins the belt. And he kind of like in-your-faces Triple H, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's vacant. I'm not going to defend this title, blah, blah, blah. And we get these six wrestlers... In the main event, you know, Big Show, Mankind, Kane, Triple H, The Rock, and a returning British Bulldog who was a shell of his former self. He was coming off of his uh, horrific, you know, spinal injury he suffered at Fall Brawl 98, where, you know, he was slammed on this trap door that the Ultimate Warrior was supposed to come out of. Man, irresponsible on WCW's part. And, you know, that eventually, I think, contributed to a painkiller addiction that eventually ended his life uh, three years after this. It was 
It's just terrible to see. And yeah, Taker was gone at this point in time. He was suffering from a bunch of injuries and he just walked out on Big Show and walked out on WWE. And we wouldn't see him until May, Judgment Day 2000, uh, where he would return as the American Badass. And I'll get there when I get there because 2000, man, I can't wait for this. Because this, the rest of this year is of 1999 is rough. So we see Big Show was about as slim as he is now. I met him last year, and he is shredded. He is huge. And he comes to the ring, and instead of, you know, hopping over the top, you know, instead of, like, you know, one foot over the top rope to the other, he jumped over it. Like, oh, oh, okay, that's impressive. And Big uh, British Bulldog is like, where's my title shot? Oh, British Bulldog, where's my title shot? And it was either just before this or just after this, you know, Bulldog is the reason why Stephanie McMahon has amnesia. And, you know, there's a spot where, you know, running around the ring, British Bulldog has a chair. And it looks like he hits Stephanie in the face with it. But, of course, you know, camera angles and magic, you know, of course, he just hits the, the corner post of the ring. Uh, Triple H comes out to his amazing My Time theme, which... Oh, man, I don't know if it's better than his uh, Motorhead theme, but it's close. I mean, it's really good. Um, and, oh, and this is a a tag team, a tag-in six-pack challenge match. Well, okay, so we see, you know, Rock and Sock are working together. We see a whole bunch of Plunda Baby. We see a Cactus pile driver on the steps. And, you know, and like the only thing that, you know, King and JR got out of it was Triple H getting a massive wedgie. Uh, the Rock and the Big Show are just, I'm looking at this and I'm like, these two are going to have a feud. And they did. We see the showstopper, a showstopper choke slam. And of course, while that's being counted, the referees take out Jimmy Corderas because, oh, hey, you crossed the picket line. You scab, you traitor, you piece of crap. And then amongst all the chaos, you know, Triple H hits a pedigree and Austin reluctantly comes into the ring to count. Now, why wasn't Austin in this match? I think he was having some nagging injuries. I mean, his knees were his knees were shot. You know, his neck was still hurting, and by November, uh, he he couldn't do it anymore. And I think I'm going to do my rebooking of who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin that month instead of waiting until 2000 because this one's just too good not to pass up. But this show sucked. If I had to melt through this one, I'd give it like a four out of 10. I'd give it like maybe a one star and three quarters. I mean, we had a great match between D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. It's better than it should have been. We saw just the beginning of the Dudley boys. We saw, we're seeing the genesis of the Hardys and Edge and Christian. And then when the Dudley boys get involved in this, yes. But yeah, Jeff Jarrett in China, this, all this misogynistic sexist bullshit that's going on in that feud. It's rough to watch in 2019 eyes. And man, I, I'm telling you now, the next few uh, 20 bell salutes are they're going to be rough. I mean, the Attitude Era maybe is not as uh, cut out, uh, good as it is, good as some people think it is. I mean, you get rose tinted glasses for Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, DX. Uh, but then you get some of this misogynistic stuff. You get DX dressing up in blackface. You get oh, things that just don't age well. 
but some things that people found funny in the 90s because, well, I don't think we were as conservative back then. We were a little bit, um, I don't want to say liberal. I don't want to say lenient. Maybe lenient's the right word. It's just, or that we just didn't really notice that, okay, maybe this isn't okay. Maybe it's, now, now it's like, looking back there, it's like, okay, uh, we're using gay or the F word as an insult or uh, this this and that there. And it's like, yeah, we, we didn't think of it back then, but now it's like, okay, this stuff, yeah, let's take it with a pinch of salt. This is, yeah, this is offensive. This is what it was like back in the back in the day, unfortunately. I'm not trying to justify it. I'm just trying to you know, br bring it up without glorifying it in a way, right? So, yeah. Oh, Unforgiven 1999, folks. Next month, we have No Mercy, and there is a very notable video game release in October 1999, and I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm, all, I'm just going to tell you that it may or may not be wrestling related. So there's definitely going to be a great crossover in that episode. No Mercy 1999 has the the ladder match between Edge of Christian and the Hardys. And then the rest of the pay-per-view just kind of falls off the face of the earth. You know, it's like a lot of the pay-per-views from 99 have, hey, one or two good matches here. This is good. This is good. And then you get Midian versus D'Lo Brown. Oh. Okay. And I'm like, hey, this is TV's like, this is fun. And then you get Beaver Cleavage. And then you get like the headbangers or uh, okay. Before I go on, I'm just not gonna go on a rant here, folks. So thank you for listening to me fumble through this piece of crap. Follow me on Twitter at the legendary JF. Follow my friends on Wrestle Addict Radio at Addict underscore Wrestle. That is the Fourth Wall WrestleCast at Fourth Wall Cast. Not Your Mama Soap Opera at Not Underscore Opera. Kings of the Rings Podcast at KOTR underscore Podcast. My co-host Nate the F and Great from the Game Changer Podcast at Real F and Game. And you can find my other podcast. F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania, Fretzelmania on Apple, Google, wherever. And this is also technically in a way part of Fretzelmania, but also part of Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon. So thank you very much and stay tuned and keep wrestling real.